Last week when we were together, we started in the book of Ruth. And uh, we just to kind of bring you up to speed and remind you, we met this man named Elimelech. And because of a famine in the land of Judah, he decides he's going to move his family, his wife, uh, Naomi, and his two sons. They're going to move down to Moab. And we talked about how that was a really bad decision on Elimelech's part. And it actually, it turned out to cost him his life and his son's life. We, we, we spoke about how he was in the promised land of God. And he was supposed to stay in the promised land of God. You know, the Israelites were never meant to leave the promised land of God. But because the time was tough, because this was the time of judges, because there was a famine in the land, he looked out and he saw potential in Moab. And he took his family to Moab. And, and it didn't turn out for him because he died in Moab. And his two sons, after they had married two women from, from Moab, one, one named Ruth and the other named uh, Opa, uh, they, the two sons passed away as well. So that left his wife, which was Naomi, the two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Opa, in the land of Moab. Back in that day, well, it was not a good thing to be a widower or a widow, widower is the guy, widow is the, is the girl. It was not a good thing to be a widow. You had nobody to support you. So Ruth decides she's going back. I'm sorry. Naomi decides she's going back to her family, back to where she was from. And the two daughter-in-laws, well, she encouraged them to stay in Moab. Go back to your families. Go back to your gods. Go back to, to the culture that you know at. Go back to the way that you've always lived. Listen, she says, I can't produce any more children for you. And besides, if I could produce a son, would, are you really willing to wait for him to grow up, to be of age, to marry him? Go on back. And if you remember correctly, Opa, after they had started back towards Judah, said, okay, well, I'm going back to my family. But, but Ruth says something amazing. Ruth says this to her. I'm just going to summarize here chapter 1. Uh, down in verse uh, 16, Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you, which means stop telling me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Ruth says, For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So, she so Ruth pledges her allegiance not only to Naomi, but she's also pledging her allegiance to the God that Naomi serves, Yahweh, Jehovah God, the God of Israel. And uh, he, she's pledging her allegiance to God as well. And we talked about how she must have seen something in Naomi that she hadn't seen in, in, in Moab before. No, Naomi comes from, from, from Israel, from, from Judah, knowing God, Yahweh God, and she sees something and says, I'm going with her. I'm not leaving her. I could go back to my family and hopefully find a husband, but I'm not. I'm pledging my loyalty to God and also to Naomi. So they journey back, back to Judah. Uh, when they get back there, remember Naomi says, says what? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me, call me Mara. And we talked about how Mara meant bitterness. And she says, God has dealt with me bitterly because God has taken my husband and my two sons from me. So God's dealt with me bitterly. You know, and then they get back there and don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter, I'm, 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 I'm bitter. It's the way that God's dealt with me. Well, once they're back there, once they're back in Judah, we, we read last week that uh, Ruth goes, hey, I'm going, to go out, I'm going to go out and glean, which was where they would go behind the, it was, they came back during the wheat harvest, where they would go behind the farmers as they were harvesting the wheat, the stuff that would fall off, they were allowed to pick up off the ground. 
So they would walk behind and they would pick up all this little, little pieces of wheat or bar, it was actually barley season. They'd pick up these little pieces of barley that had fallen on the ground. And they had to work hard just to get enough barley to eat. And they were allowed to do that. That was God's way of providing for those that were less fortunate. If, if something falls, let, let, the, let, the, let the poor people glean from it. Let them, let them get what they need. It was kind of the way of providing for the poor, for those that couldn't, that couldn't work. And, and remember what happened? Naomi, or Ruth goes and she starts to glean in Boaz's field. Now, she didn't know it at the time, but Boaz was a relative of theirs, of Elimelech's. Boaz and Elimelech, which was, uh, which was Naomi's husband, who's the one that took them to Moab, they were somehow related. And we began to talk about this idea of a kinsman, this idea of a redeemer. So Boaz tells, uh, tells Ruth, listen, just glean in my field. Don't go to any other fields. And then Ruth goes back home to Naomi, and Naomi says, where did you glean today? She goes, oh, I met this nice man named Boaz. Now, do you remember what Ruth, you remember what Ruth said when, she, when he, she said that? She says in verse 19 of chapter 2, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told, this is Ruth, told her mother-in-law in whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours. He are, he's our closest kinsman. But she says something interesting there. She says, blessed Blessed, blessed be the one who took notice of you. But then she says, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. This is the bitter woman who just realized, and this is important, that this wasn't by chance. That, that Ruth and Boaz didn't meet by accident. When, when Naomi's declaring this, she's saying, hey, listen, there's a divine appointment from God here. This is not an accident. This is, this is incredible. I can't believe in all the places you could have gleaned today, you went to Boaz's field and he took notice of you. He took notice of you. It's amazing, he, she says. It's absolutely incredible. So the one that was once bitter is now looking and going, God is kind to the living and the dead. Even though she had lost her husband, even though she had lost her two sons, she's She's still dealing with that. You don't get over that in a short amount of time. That's, that's quite a tragedy. But she looks to what's going on in the specifics of her life, and she makes this statement that is just absolutely incredible. Blessed, in verse 20, blessed, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. She's saying the Lord is kind. The Lord is, the Lord is not done. It's the first thing we need to remember something tonight. Naomi recognized this as being the hand of God. We don't want to miss the hand of God working in our life. You know, she takes notice of this, blessed be the Lord. And I often wonder how many times we've just looked past well, that occasional meeting on the street, that meeting in the grocery store, that, that friend that calls that we haven't talked to in a, in a long time, that thing that just happens and we just, oh, what a coincidence. There are no coincidences with God. It's all predetermined. It's all preplanned. It's, it's, his, it's his plan playing out. Naomi endured this hardship. She's coming back bitter. Call me Mara. But yet now she goes, I see that God's working here. This is an amazing thing that I saw God do. And she gives God the glory for it too. She recognizes it. She gives him the glory. Now, we'll pick up tonight 
Well, let's just finish reading that for the sake of context. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her, grand, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now we'll pick up tonight in chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I, or my daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. All that you say to me, I will do. Now, the barley and the wheat harvest is over. What's taking place is it's threshing time. Naomi says, shall I not seek security for you? In other words, she's saying, shall I not seek rest for you? Shall I not seek a home for you is what she's saying. She realizes the connection here. Boaz is their kinsman. He's their, he, he's their kinsman redeemer. Naomi says to Ruth, listen, he's our relative. According to what God says, according to God's law, according to God's ways, according to the way that God has planned it, he can redeem you. He can take you from being a widow to being married. He can take you from being childless to having children. But we have to do it God's way. And she encourages her. I want you to find rest. He's our relative. He's our redeemer. In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight. You guys know what winnowing is, right? Just in case you don't know what it is. The way they would do that back then is during the harvest, they would cut all the stalks. Now, they didn't have tractors. They had to cut it all by hand. They would pile them all up in the middle of the field, and they would wait till everything was cut. And then once it was dried, it would dry out in the middle of the field. Then they would take it to the winnowing place, which was usually on top of a hill somewhere, and they would beat the, beat the, the barley or the wheat that they were winnowing, and they would separate the, the barley grains from the chaff or from the casing around it. And then they would throw it up into the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and what would fall to the ground was the barley or the wheat, which is the part that you would eat. So after the harvest is done, now we have to then extract the, the, the actual grain from, from the shell that it's in. That's, that's the winnowing process. So here we are. They come during the barley harvest. Might have been a couple of weeks. You know, we can kind of figure it would probably take a couple of weeks to harvest it. So they haven't been to, known each other for a long time. But what we do know is during that couple of weeks, it's probably likely that Boaz and Ruth have gotten to know each other a little bit. They've gotten to, Boaz has seen Ruth out in the field because Boaz would have been there. Because back in that day also, why, why would it be important for the owner of the field to be there? So nobody came and stole it. That's why he's going to be sleeping there at night. You, you didn't take a chance of somebody coming in and stealing your grain or stealing your food supply. That was important to them. This was their livelihood. This was their, this is what, this is, this is, you know, this was their life. If they, if they were to lose that, if, if raiders were to come in and steal their food, that would, that would be very costly to them. So what's taking place is Naomi says to Ruth, listen, why shouldn't we go? Listen, I want you to do something, Ruth. Clean yourself up a bit. Put your best clothes on. Make yourself smell good. She's appealing to the sense of man, right? She goes, 
make yourself look good for him. You know, make yourself, you know, put some perfume on. Make, make yourself smell good. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there. Don't let him know you're there. When he lays, after he's eaten, after he's had his dinner, after he's drank, when he lays down to go to sleep, that's when I want you to do something. I want you to take notice where he lies. And I want you to go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Uncover his feet? Lie down? That doesn't make any sense to us today, does it? I mean, it's kind of silly, but I want you to kind of put it into, I want to put it in context for you. This was a position for a servant. This was a position of humility. It was a position of coming before him saying, hey, she's going to go before him and ask him basically, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me? But she's not coming in a position of authority. She's coming in a position of humility. She's going to ask him in, in humility. Now, let's pick up in verse, uh, she says that she'll do it in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drank, drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Notice she came to him softly. Notice she's coming to him humbly. Notice as she, as she lays down at his feet, she doesn't even tell him that she's there. It's not till midnight that he goes to roll over. Maybe he gives her a good kick or something, I don't know. But he realizes, hey, wait a minute, there's somebody sleeping at my feet. That would bother him. In the middle of the night, he's protecting his grain. Who is this? So he asks the logical question, hey, who are you? And she says, look what she says. I'm Ruth. Take your maidservant under your wing. Take your maidservant under your wing. Do you see the humility there? She puts himself at his feet and says, take your maidservant. Take your maidservant. She said, she's declaring herself to be his servant. But she also says something really cool, under your wing. Take me under your wing, she says, which means it could also be translated part of your cloak, take uh, part of your blanket, put, put part of your blanket on me. It's the idea of take me under your protection. Will you, will you redeem me? I'm, part, I'm, I'm family with you. I'm kin, I'm kin with you. Bold. You think that it would be up to him to come to her and say that he wants to redeem her. But she makes this bold move. She gets herself dressed. She puts her perfume on. She goes to him in the middle of the night. She lays down. And by the way, this wasn't sexual at all. This, what this, had, this was not like a come on. This was not like her you know, trying to come on to him in a sexual way. This is her coming to him in the way that the Lord prescribed. In the way that, in the, way that, you know, that, 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 that the, uh, the Old Testament gives us the example of, of someone being redeemed. What would happen is if you, if, if you were a woman and your husband had passed away and you had no children his brother or his closest family member could actually redeem you, take you as a wife. You could bear children with them to carry on their name, to carry on the family name. As a matter of fact, a kinsman redeemer was responsible to, to do a couple things. Number one, he was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. 
So if you had lost your land and you had lost everything and you were now in slavery to somebody else, if there was a close living relative, they could then purchase you out of slavery. And that was their duty to do that. That was part of their kinsman redeemer. They're going to buy you out of the slavery, buy you out of the bondage that you're in. The second thing they would also be, do is they would be the avenger of blood. So if your family, if you had a family member that was murdered or killed, or you would then be responsible to avenge their blood as their kinsman redeemer, as their nearest living relative. The third thing they were, able, they were supposed to do is they were to buy back any family land that had been forfeited. So if, if you had, you know, let's say that you're, you're a farmer, let's say there's a famine in the land, and let's say your crops aren't producing, you can't afford to keep your land for whatever reason, you sell your land, you could get it back at the year of Jubilee, which is every 50 years. But if you had a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, a close family relative, they could then buy your land back for you. They would then own your land and you could be with them. The last thing they, would all, they were also responsible for doing, they were responsible for marrying the wife or marrying the widow of the close family member. Because they were supposed to, the heart was, I want to carry on the family name. When God divided up the promised land, it was supposed to stay with the tribes of Israel. It wasn't meant to ever leave the tribes of Israel. It was supposed to be with them forever. And God set these, these rules in place, these laws in place, saying, listen, if you lose your land, you're going to get it back in 50 years. But if you can't wait 50 years, it can be redeemed by, a, by, a, by your nearest living relative, your kinsman redeemer. So this nearest living relative, this kinsman redeemer, was kind of a savior for you. It was kind of a person who's going to get you out of trouble, going to kind of a person who's going to pull you out of slavery, going to avenge your blood, going to buy your land back, going to keep your family name going by possibly marrying somebody. Now, here's what I want to share with you. When, when Ruth is going to Boaz and she says, take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative, she is only doing what God has already prescribed. She's only doing what God has already prescribed. Ruth wants what God has designed. Understand that. That's important. She hasn't come up with this idea on her own. She's not making, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find me a husband. I'm, I'm going to go get me a big house to live in. I'll find the wealthy guy in town. I'm going to go, no, no. She's saying, listen, Naomi has told her how God works, what God has said. And she simply says, I want what God has designed. I'm not going, I want God's will. God said this is good, therefore I want it. So she goes to Boaz in total humility. She could go there kind of cocky if she wants to. You're supposed to redeem me. It's your job to redeem me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Limelech's uh, daughter-in-law. He's dead. My husband's dead. His son's, Limelech's son is dead. So it's your job to redeem me. That's not how she does it at all. Instead, we have this beautiful relationship that forms. Remember, it was planned by God. Remember, back when Ruth and Naomi were on the road, Ruth said, your God is my God. Where you live, I'll live. Where you go, I'll go. They come back. Uh, Naomi's bitter. Ruth starts gleaning. God's hand is involved. And now she's bringing, he's bringing this relationship together between Boaz and between Ruth. So let's keep reading here. Let's see what, uh, let's see what Boaz says. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request 
for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz has been watching Ruth. He's been watching from a distance. He's been watching how she interacts with different people. She's the new girl in town. She's the girl from, from Moab in town. I, I don't doubt that she was relatively attractive. He makes a specific statement. You haven't gone after other men. You haven't gone after other men. You weren't running after what God had not designed for you. You were waiting on what God did design for you. You, were, you didn't go to try to find the relationship on your own. You waited to see, allow God, allow, allow God to bring you to my field. And he gives her the comfort. Don't worry. Don't worry. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Do you see that he's attracted to her character? He looks and he says, I've been watching. I see how you interact. You're not chasing money. You're not chasing the cute boys. You're not chasing. You're, you're, you're waiting on, on, what, on what the Lord has designed. You're waiting on God. And the whole town knows that you're virtuous. The whole town. Do you know how important that is today? Especially for the young men and the young teenagers that are here. How, how, how virtue is so, so important. Do you know we live in a society where teen suicide is skyrocketing? It's, it's going through the roof all over the place. Teenagers, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, taking their own lives because of what's been said on Facebook, because of what's been said on Insta, uh, Twitter and all that, because of the social media, because of the pictures that have been put out, because of all kinds of things. Virtuous is a trait that is your responsibility. We have to say no to some things in life, don't we? We have to say, I'm not going to do that. We have to say, I'm not going to be part of that. I've been thinking a lot about this scripture as I'm preparing for it. And I kind of wondered, I wonder what this period was like before this night and the first night they met. I wonder how they got to know each other. I wonder, was it, were they kind of like dating beforehand? Were Boaz and Ruth kind of like dating? And I thought, absolutely not. You know, and I, I kind of began to, to play with this in my head a little bit. I started thinking about it, and I'm like, how did they, how, how do we go into a relationship today? How, how is it that a relationship gets started? And usually it's started by, by dating, right? And then I got to looking at my past, and, you know, I thought, dating really didn't teach me what I needed to know. Dating taught me how to begin and end a relationship. It never taught me how to make a relationship endure. It never taught me how to make a relationship last. It taught me how to start and end. But that's not the way God designed it, did he? God wants our relationships to continue with our husbands and our wives. He doesn't want them to come to an end. So I don't think that Boaz and Ruth were in this dating period at all. I think they were in this magnificent sort of period where they were watching each other. Because Boaz says, I saw the way that you interacted. I saw how. I looked at your reputation. I heard what people said about you. Do you know that'll tell you more about somebody than what they tell you about themselves? Because, hey, if you're anything like me, you've dated and found out, you know what? The person that you're dating is not really the real person. Because after a few months, guess what happens? And hopefully you find that out before it goes too long or too far. But the dating phase is that's where we kind of pretend we're better than we are to impress somebody, right? That's not healthy. But here... Boaz wants to find out about Ruth, so he watches from afar. It's true for us today, for the singles. 
You're interested in somebody? Watch them from afar. See how they interact with other people. See what other people are saying about them. That'll tell you who they really are, not who they're pretending to be when they're with you or when they're in front of you. How important is that? I don't know. Just do that. That's my two cents. So Boaz says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. She wasn't fake. She was being real. You did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for all that you request. For all the people of of my town. Notice it's his town. My town, know that you are a virtuous woman. Please, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Boaz did not force himself on her. Boaz didn't force himself. Boaz could have forced, could have said, he waited for her to come to him. He waited, he, he, did not make, he, did not, he did not seek this out. She's the one that came to him. And this will all come to, come to play in just a second when I, when I share this a little further with you. Boaz didn't force himself. He just waited for her to come. Now, there's a problem, she said. She says, Boaz says, there's a problem we have to deal with. Now, it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Here's what I want you to do, Ruth. Stay this night. In the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So Boaz says, Ruth, I'll do it. Don't worry. But we got to do something first. He's going to handle things right. He goes, there's another relative that's closer in line with Elimelech than me. So we have to give him the opportunity to redeem you first. In the meantime, lie down till morning, and we'll take care of it tomorrow, he says. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could, re- before one could recognize another, which means it's still dark out. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Don't tell anyone you were here. Also, he said... Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man, which is Boaz, had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Sit still, my daughter. He won't rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Now, what's he going to do? Is Boaz going to lose Ruth? No. Let's read. Now, Boaz went up to the gate, which is like an open court, and he sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friends, sit down here. So he came aside, and he sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city. They were witnesses for him. And he said, sit down here. So they sat down, and he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. doesn't mean they were biological brothers. It means they were just related. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Uh Uh-oh, there's a problem. So here's what's taking place. Boaz sends Ruth home. 
Boaz goes to the city gates, which is where they would all gather, gathers 10 witnesses and says, all right, guys, you guys know Naomi. She's come back from Moab and some land from her husband that was sold. It needs to be redeemed. So this other relative, and we're not told who it is, this other relative is closer in, uh, in relations than, than I am. So I need to know if, if you'll redeem it. And he says, I will redeem it. Now, I wonder if, this is my only, my opinion, I wonder if Ruth and Naomi were nearby. And I wonder if they were trying to listen in on the conversation, trying to see how things went. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But how do you think, if they were listening, what do you think they thought when they said, I will redeem it? Uh-oh. Boaz is a smart man. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Yay. <laughs> so Boaz, he kind of tricks him. He says, hey, you want to buy some land? What's the guy? Sure, I'll take some more land. I can make more money. I can, I can redeem it. Oh, by the way, uh, Naomi has a daughter-in-law. Her, her name is Ruth, and you're going to have to take her as a wife. And he says, I already got a wife. I don't know what he says, but maybe, I, maybe he's got a wife at home, and he goes, can't possibly take another one. Maybe he's already, it says, in, he talks about his inheritance. Maybe he's already divided up his inheritance among his children. Maybe he's an older man. And he's going, my life is already set. I don't want to be bothered with it. Whatever reason it was, when, he throw, when Boaz throws in, oh, you got to take her as a wife, he goes, two, not me. You go ahead. You do it. You take her, which is exactly what Boaz wanted. Now, verse 7. This was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and he gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Not something we do today, but it worked for them back then. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, But if for yourself, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that Elimelech and all... You, oh, hold on, I lost my spot. You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that Elimelech and all that was um, Kilion's and Mal- Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. Who was, Ra- who was Rachel and Leah? Who were they married to? Jacob, right? Twelve tribes of Israel came out of those two. They had 13 children together. And may you prosper in um, Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, who, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this woman. So they say, sure, absolutely. We're witnesses to it. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. So if she went from being bitter to being blessed. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better than you, than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, 
the father of David. God's plans are always better. God's plans are always better. Here, this woman Ruth, this Moabite, woman from Moab, woman from a sinful land, woman from an enemy of Israel, is now in the lineage of who? Of Christ. Christ. King David there. Obed, his father Jesse, the father of David. It's an incredible situation. God is, his plans are always better. Now let's just back up for a second. Because I talked about, about this kinsman redeemer thing. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. You know, we fit into this story perfectly. Because if you take Obed and say he's a picture of Christ, we fit into it perfectly because we're kind of like Ruth. We're off in a land that we shouldn't be in. We're, we were off doing things that we shouldn't have done. But then one day she makes a decision. And she says to Naomi, your God is my God. I'm going to follow what your God has. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to stay close. And, she, and we see that she holds good on that decision. When she gets back to Judah, she doesn't chase the boys around. She's not out looking for a husband. She goes, I want what God has designed. I'm going to trust God to provide for my future. I don't care if I don't have a future. God knows best. And then she does something really cool. She presents herself humbly to the Redeemer. Isn't that the way that we have to come before the Lord? Don't we have to come humbly before Christ? We have to come that way before, humbly before Christ. Notice this. Boaz didn't force himself on her. She had to come to him. Christ is the exact same way. He doesn't force himself on anybody. We have to come before him. We don't come to Christ demanding salvation. We come to Christ humbly. We come to Christ with nothing to offer. We come to Christ just like Ruth, a stranger in a foreign land. I've got nothing. And he says, I'll redeem you. I'll buy you. I'll, I'll take what's broken down. I'll take what's a wreck, and I'll redeem it. And not only does he redeem it, she ends up in the line of Christ. It's an amazing story. But I want to share this with you in closing. I want to kind of share this thought, if I can, because I found this rather, rather fascinating. When Ruth was in the field, she was gleaning from Boaz. She was picking up remnants. She was picking up scraps. She was picking up, she was meeting her daily requirements for food, but she was just, she was kind of getting by on what, on what was dropped. She was, she was interacting with Boaz, but that wasn't the relationship that was really desired. It wasn't until she came to the threshing floor that she gave herself up, that she turned herself over and she said to Boaz, I am your servant. Will you redeem me? You see, and I think that applies to a lot of Christian lives. I think there's a lot of people that are kind of following the Lord in a, in, in a gleaning sense. They're coming to church and they're gleaning and they're hearing things and, and they're, they're taking some principles out of the Bible, they're applying them to their life and they're seeing results. They're staying fed, they're, they're, they're meeting their needs. But there's also a picture of this surrender, of her laying it all out there. I'm going to lay it all out there for this one night, for this one opportunity. And she goes before him and says, Boaz, I'm your servant, humbly. And the picture is, she's no longer gleaning. She's completely offering herself to him. Completely. For his rejection or for his exception. And I think that we make a mistake as Christians. If we don't come to the place, it won't be right away. It's not right away all the time. But I think there's a place that we have to come to as we mature. Where we say, Lord, 
Everything I am is yours. Everything that I have belongs to you. Everything, every, I have nothing. Everything is yours. And when we can come to that place is when he'll say, I'll redeem you. I'll take your past and I'll fix it. I'll take the fact that you worship false gods back in Moab. I'll take all that and I'll erase it. And if you'll just follow my plan, it'll be absolutely wonderful for you. I can't guarantee that you'll be in the line of Christ because he's already been born. But that was her story. When I came to Cumberland, the Lord was very clear to me. And I got it out of the book of Colossians. And he spoke to me clearly one day. He said, take heed to the ministry which you have received and fulfill it. Fulfill the ministry. And I can say that to you tonight. Fulfill the ministry the Lord has for you. Fulfill it. Walk in it. Fulfill it. Well, Rob, how do I know what it is? That's between you and him to figure out. I can't tell you that this, morning, this evening. I can't tell you what your ministry is. It might be to continue working your, a, a secular job and ministering to the people that you're working with. It might be to call in to be a missionary someday. It might be to be a pastor someday. I don't know what your ministry is. It doesn't mean you'll be in full-time ministry because as followers of Christ, we're, we're all ministers. We all have an opportunity to minister to those people that we come into contact with every day. But ask yourself the question, am I on the path to fulfill my ministry? When you're on that path and you realize it clicks in your mind that God's plan is better than yours, your life will change forever. Your life will change forever. I thought I had a pretty good life back in Florida, but I wouldn't go back for anything. I wouldn't go back. I'd miss this. I'd miss knowing you guys. I'd miss being here, watching God work, radio stage, all the stuff that God's doing through our church. I'd miss it all. I wouldn't go back for anything. But that's my story. This is my, you guys get to see my story, my faith lived out. I'm here. What's yours? Are you fulfilling the ministry that you've been called to do? And please don't mistake that for full-time ministry or missions work or something that gets raised up. A mom who's raising her children in a godly way is fulfilling a ministry that she's been called to do. A husband that is being a godly husband is fulfilling a ministry that he's called to do. A godly employee who's working for somebody, a godly boss who's employing people and in, in, in using godly principles and the love of Christ, that's fulfilling a ministry. It's not just church. What am I doing in my everyday life? Am I fulfilling what God has called me to do? What if I'm not? Change it. Change it. Well, how do I know? How do I know what God wants me to do? That's the best part because that's where you build your relationship with him. There's no answer to that. I mean, I can tell you what the Bible says do and don't do, what's right and what's wrong, and certainly those are things God wants you to do. But when it comes to your individual life, when people say a personal relationship with Christ, that's it. Well, am I, where am I going to find that out? Studying God's Word. Coming to church. The Lord will lead you. I'm confident of that. If he's able to do this in the life of Ruth, and he's able to bring her along this beautiful path and redeem her and pull her out from what was looked down upon in society because she did what she was supposed to do, he can do the same thing for us. Will we, are we willing to follow? Understand, his life, his plan is much better than yours. Whatever you look to your future, look to his plan. Don't look too far into the future. I had somebody tell me when I first came to Cumberland, I met with another pastor, and he said this to me. He goes, what's your five-year plan for planning a church? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, you're not very organized. He said, what's your one-year plan? And I said, I want to be closer to God in a year than I am today. He goes, no, for planning the church. I said, that's my plan. 
There's no, what, what's, your, what's your plan? How are you going to get things going? I said, I don't know. He goes, you need to have a, what church planning books have you read? I said, I never read a church planning book. Well, how's it all going to work? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have to know how it's all going to work. But what I have learned, that if I will follow the Lord, his plan is better than mine. And everything I've seen in my life, when I plan it, it might be okay. But when he plans it, I sit back and go, wow. I go, wow. I cannot believe the Lord is doing that. That's the excitement that you want to live in. Fulfill the ministry that you've been called to fulfill. Seek it out. Desire it. Ask him for it. Here's the thing. And we'll close one more time. I could say close twice. I get three, two more closes, and I'm done. No, really, this is the last close. Here's the thing. God is not in heaven saying, I've got the plan for your life, and I don't want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what your plan is. No, no, you, you have to beg me. That's not it at all. He goes, just get to know me, because what he's doing is he's preparing you for your plan. You've got to get prepared for it. You can't just start out. And I, I had to get prepared to come to start a church. I had to, I had to learn a lot. And you've got to be prepared for your plan too. But the best part of the relationship is you going to him daily saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? It doesn't have to be a 10-year plan. It doesn't have to be a five-year plan. It doesn't have to be a year plan. Just a day plan. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Because if I can follow him today, I can follow him next week and next month and next year. Amen? Father, we thank you for this story of Ruth. Boaz being the redeemer. Lord, you're our redeemer. And boy, do we need to be redeemed. Father, I thank you that you put this book in the scriptures. It speaks so loudly on who you are. From the preparation to the planning, to your hand in Ruth's life, to the outcome, Father. To be in the lineage of Christ. In the line of David, David comes after her. The greatest king ever. Lord, to think that the same hand that planned that is working in our life to plan our life is absolutely incredible. To think that my life is no less valuable than Ruth's life. My plan is no less important than her plan. Lord God, you're amazing for that. May we be a people who follow hard after you, who seek you daily, who want your plan. Lord, we'll mess up, but we have your grace. But may our hearts and our minds and our lives be set, and we constantly ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Allow your Holy Spirit to minister. Speak to us through your word. Show us, teach us, and prepare us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.